Hello and welcome to the Locust and Honey podcast. We are two Reformed Southern Baptists who desire to speak the truth of the gospel to the heart of the culture. We're also proud members of the Biblical and Reformed Network. If you would like to support our growing podcast, you can do so several ways. One, you can leave us a comment and share our podcast on your social media. Two, you can leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. And three, you can follow the link in our show notes to find all of the other ways that you can support us and connect with us. Now this is the commandment, the statutes and the rules that the Lord your God commanded me to teach you, that you may do them in the land to which you are going over, to possess it, that you may fear the Lord your God, you and your son and your son's son, by keeping all his statutes and his commandments, which I command you all the days of your life, that your days may be long. Hear therefore, O Israel, and be careful to do them, that that it may go well with you, and that you may multiply greatly, as the Lord, the God of your fathers, has promised you, in a land flowing with milk and honey. Hear, O Israel, the Lord, your, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, and with all your soul, and with all your might. And these words I command you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children, and shall talk of them when you sit in your house, and when you walk by the way, and when you lie down, And when you rise, you shall bind them as a sign on your hand, and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on your doorpost of your house and on your gates. Deuteronomy 6, verses 1 through 9. The Shema. The Shema. Well, hello and welcome, everybody, to the Locust and Honey podcast. I'm Andrew. And I'm Matt. And today is episode 45 of the Locust Honey podcast. Join us as we discuss saving the world. How to save the world. We can just call this the Marvel episode. There you go. If you're going to be a Marvel superhero, which one would you be and why? Hmm. That's a deep breath. That's a tough one. That was a deep breath. (laughs) Man, that was a deep breath because I was deep. I meant some... Some deep thought here. I'd say I'd probably be Spider-Man. Spidey. Because. He's a kid. Well, yeah. And he like, he's like slender and agile and stuff. I feel like that'd suit me more. I'm not like a. Well, but you could be anybody. Well, that's true. The Hulk isn't always bulked. That's true. Actually, <laughs> actually, I think I'd be Thor. I, because of his hair. Thor because of the hair, huh? Yeah. Yeah. I was going to say Thor as well. And he's the only one who can move his hammer. So, like, if his hammer's, like, sitting somewhere, yeah. it would but be Mrs., inconvenient. Mrs. Then. Thor can move the hammer, too. Yeah. But now he doesn't have a hammer. I've seen plenty of memes. Now he's of, got an axe. An axe? Oh, I got to catch up. Yeah. That stuff. Love and Thunder. <laughs> It's a stupid movie. Really? I didn't enjoy it. Oh. Nah. Well, um, I saw a meme one time, not to get too far off 
topic, but I did see a meme one time that was kind of funny. It had like Thor's hammer was like sitting on the toilet seat and the toilet seat was down. And like there was a whole line of people who couldn't go to the bathroom and they all had to go, but no one could move the hammer. It's yeah. funny. Anyway. I would probably find another bathroom. Probably, yeah. That's what I do. Anyway. So, well. So. Um, so. I guess. No, go ahead. No, you. Oh, me? Yeah, man. Oh, shoot. All right. I guess what we should do now is. What should we do? We should affirm and deny some stuff to kick off our episode. Let's do it. Today. All right. I'll start by my affirmation. Affirm. Affirm. My affirmation is going to be the Georgia Bulldogs. Mm. SEC championship. Yes. I'm saying that in a way that this guy on ESPN well, says but, it cracks me up. He's from Louisiana. He's like, the Georgia Bulldogs. By the time people hear this, they will have already played. That's true. So can we affirm the SEC champions? Oh, yeah. I, I think I'm willing to... Not do that because no? <laughs> the more I think about it, because if if they actually lose, then I'm gonna be like, all right. Well, you heard it here first. Andrew has no faith in the Bulldogs. I have lots of faith in the Bulldogs, but are they SEC champions right now? No, on they still Sunday? have to go win. On do Sunday, I think people, they will be? When yes. people hear this on Sunday, I think they will be. Okay, but like, I'm not gonna sit and be like your your affirmation. Your 2022 SEC champion Bulldogs because they hadn't done that yet. Well, but when people hear this on Sunday, they will have. I I think they will have, yes. I'm not going to say they will have. Where's your confidence? <laughs> I thought they were going to win the thing last year. And they what didn't. about, okay, well, let me uh. let me pose you this question. <laughs> when people hear this on Sunday, will they be having celebrated USA's victory over the Netherlands? The Netherlands. I Yes, I have to say yes. I'm, 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 What's the score? Well, okay, here's the thing about the U.S. is that they don't score a lot, but they don't allow goals either. Okay. So I think it's going to have to go. It's going to come down to the wire. I think the U.S. pulls it out one nothing. I don't think they score more than a goal. It's so hard for them right now. Just, like, I feel like Poliznik is like the goal scorer. The, the guy. Who's the other guy The on the opposite end? Or Polizic. Is it Polizic or Poliznik? I don't know why I call him. Yeah. Sounds like Poliznik, but there's no N in his name, so it's like... Anyway. Poliznik. Poliznik. Poliznik? It's not Poliznik. It never doesn't sound like that. We're losing our... Anyway. Um. So, I don't know who the other guy is, but they do play really good defense, so I don't think the Netherlands is really going to score a ton. But. All right. Anyway, that's the affirmation. And I'll affirm this Saturday, too, because Saturday is going to be an exciting day. You got the U.S., but, and you got so you're affirming yesterday. That's right. I'm affirming yeah. the day before everyone listened to this, unless of course both teams lose. <laughs> it was a day of infamy. Yeah, it's gonna be the worst day of the whole sports year. So, but yeah. All right. Um, I'm gonna affirm my wife. Oh, there you go. I've affirmed a lot of stuff on here before, but I've never affirmed my wife on here. And so she is worthy of all of the affirmation. So Tiff, when you finally catch up to where we're at in like 2024, know that you have been affirmed and you are loved. Yes. 
Let's deny some stuff. <laughs> okay. <laughs> okay. Um, let's see. Well, my denial is going to be how my dog is becoming increasingly difficult to train because of some stuff that we did not think about training her with when she was a lot younger. So I have an Australian shepherd. My wife, Emma, and I have an Australian shepherd. Oh, Millie. Her name's Millie. And she is an is a great dog. Her temperament is wonderful. She is good around kids. She's really, I mean, she's good around other animals, other dogs. She doesn't try and fight them. But what she does do is she's very hyper. She's very jumpy. She's very like... Australian shepherdy. Energetic, yeah. And so... With that, and that's fine too. It's just that sometimes when she's excited, she has bad habits that she does. Like she'll jump or she'll nip and she'll do stuff like that. Yeah. She actually, she got me in the face today when I let her out of her crate because she's crate changed. So she sleeps in her crate at night. So I let her out this morning. She was so excited and she jumps. She was jumping everywhere. And she didn't mean to like bite me, but she just jumped. And as she jumped, her mouth was kind of like open. She was just like... Yeah. And no one could see that. But anyway. Um, What'd she do again? And so she, I was about to do it again. <laughs> but she, uh, she got me in the face and it's like, man, that's, I hope that doesn't happen to anybody else. And so, but the problem is, is that that wasn't something that we really thought about training her out of when she was a real little puppy, when it was easy to kind of train her and stuff. Yeah. And so now it's kind of like difficult. So I'll deny, deny those habits that we did not foresee being a problem i don't think there'll be a big problem i think every dog goes through this but i think that we're just gonna have to get trained out of her yeah i mean she's not an aggressive dog so i'm not really worried it's just yeah most of what you're describing is what those dogs were bred to do yeah you know what i mean so like an australian shepherd is a cattle dog and Mm -hmm. so they're made to herd and have tons of energy to be able to run all day long and they're nippy dogs anyway because they're supposed to nip sheep to get back in line. Yeah. You know what I mean? So it's just setting the boundaries of what's acceptable and not acceptable. Right. And then providing plenty of exercise. Yeah. So. so You can do it. I'm not going to deny Millie, though. She's. I'm not denying her. I'm Dang denying her, her behavior that we have to get out of her. All right. I'm going to deny. How do I work this into a denial? Um, I'm going to deny people that d- do not appreciate Elon Musk <laughs> and his tweets <laughs> uh, because they're fire. Yeah. Um. So Elon Musk bought Twitter, right? Because Twitter was garbage and Elon was like, I've got this extra $44 billion, $44 billion dollars sitting around. I'm going to buy Twitter. Yeah. And then I'm going to fire everybody at Twitter. Yeah. And now <laughs> I'm going to post what they were doing at the threat of, like, there was rumors that Apple was going to, if they came out with it, Apple was going to no longer allow them in the app store and all that stuff. Um, but, like, the people that are mad at Elon are like, he's so oppressive and, like, he's going to not, you know, like, he's, I don't know. It's The, the argument I don't get, it's like, he's destroying free speech by allowing people to speak freely. 
Mm-hmm. And uh, because he's unbanning a lot of the banned accounts on Twitter. Yeah. And so people think like that is the worst thing you could do for free speech. And uh, I don't get it. I like it. <laughs> the funniest thing is the face that he makes when <laughs> he like sees something dumb. Yeah. And he just like stares with this like blank stare of just like. <laughs> yeah. So. You know, you know that you're dumb. <laughs> right. Yeah. And oh man. Yeah. So his his Twitter account <clears throat> is is fun. Now he's not like. I mean, he's not like somebody that all Christians should. Well, no, he's openly denied <laughs> right. Christ. But. So, uh, but I I I like what he's doing. Um, and how he's interacting with the current crazy culture. Um, and more Christians need to be able to stand up for what they believe in. Uh, cause if somebody like Elon can stand up for what he believes in, which is an idea of what America should be, how much more should we be willing to stand up? Right. Which kind of ties into our conversation today. It does. Uh, so today we're going to talk about how do Christians defeat a collapsed secular society. How do we defeat a collapsed secular society? Uh, all right, so I'm I'm pulling. I just watched a documentary. You have seen mm-hmm. said documentary. Yes. Uh, Doug Wilson put out a documentary called "How to Save the World in Eleven Simple Steps" with an asterisk that says "simple does not equal easy." Mm-hmm. Um, I watched it and I enjoyed it and. Uh, I wanted to talk about it. There's some some things that resonated with me and you and um, a challenge that I think is good for our audience. Uh, specifically, uh, a prime, well, not specifically, primarily a challenge to Christian men and then secondarily uh, a challenge to Christian women for us to be the biblical men and women that God's called us to be. Um, we need to see men standing up and leading in not just our homes, um, but in the the public square. Mm. And, and we need to see women as well. I think it's interesting. So, like, if you look at this latest election that we just had, uh, I don't know how much we talked about this, but... If you look at the latest election that we just had, um, there's supposed to be this big red wave mm-hmm. in the Senate and the House and all that, and it kind of things did not quite stay the same. But they were well. Republicans got control of the House. They did, but it, but it was not very, as much as yeah. they thought. And uh, we'll see. Well, we didn't. Get well, either of the way, Senate. what happens? Yeah, right. So, um, but it's very interesting if you look at it. Uh, if you break down the statistics of all of it uh, and you look at the demographics of who voted how for for this last election specifically, um, what's interesting is that if you look at married men, they predominantly voted for the Republican candidates. If you look at married women, they increased their vote for the Republican candidate uh, more so than they had before. Mm-hmm. If you look at unmarried men, they increased their vote for the Republican candidate than they did last election. The only one that decreased is unmarried women. Hmm. Unmarried women predominantly voted Democratic. Um, and I think that that's telling because uh, unmarried women are 
the ones that are pushing the left agenda. Um, they're not the only ones, but I'm just talking statistically, the percentage of unmarried women are, it's like, I don't remember what it is, but like they gain like 12% or like 7% somewhere in there. Uh, the unmarried women category, um, whereas every other category went predominantly more, uh, it, it increased towards Republican votes. Mm -hmm. Uh, unmarried women did not. And it increased towards, um, the other. And if you look at the reasoning behind that, a lot of that is abortion. Mm -hmm. Um, a lot of that is LGBT issues. A lot of that is that kind of stuff. And, um, and so the call for women to be biblical women, um, it, it's, it's interesting to me because when you look at unmarried women today, uh, the majority of unmarried women today are um, pretty in line with what the culture says is right and good and true, right? Mm -hmm. So I'm not saying all. Um, want to clarify that. But percentage-wise, if you take all the unmarried women in America and then you ask them how many of you go to church more than four times a week or four times a month, uh, the percentage of them that say they do is going to be very low, mm -hmm. right? Um, so what they've done, God has created a standard, and in that standard, there is a husband and a wife, and they're joined together, and then they have kids, and then those kids find a wife or a husband, and they join together, and then they have kids, and you have this progression, right? Um, but if you look at, like, the feminist push and the feminist movement, which is now kind of, you've got the feminist movement and most people that are, are pushing for the feminist movement are also pushing for the LGBTQ movement. Uh, and then they're also pushing for, you know, the abortion and all of that. Um, but those people who are rejecting the idea that they need somebody are clinging to the state to be that husband figure for them. Um, they're looking for somebody to help them provide and help them, you know what I mean? So they've just enlarged the state, which we talked about when we talked about first wave feminism, that was the issue was mm. that first wave feminism wanted to take and make the state bigger so that the state could then do what they wanted it to do. And the state was acting on their behalf. Right. And, um, so anyway, all of that to say, um, we need biblical men and biblical women to act like biblical men and biblical women, uh, because we do live in a collapsed secular society. So I think as we get into this, let's break that down. What is a collapsed secular society? Mm -hmm. Um, so secular, the definition of, of secular is basically something, uh, an idea, belief, or things apart from God. Mm -hmm. um, so secular thought tells us that you can be good, you can be right and true apart from Jesus. Um, secular thought creeped in into America long before now. Uh, we are a collapsed secular society. We're not a secular society. We were a secular society in the 1900s. You know, in the late 1800s, we started kind of introducing this secular thought. And then the 1900s, uh, 20s, 30s, 40s, 50s, and then uh, really coming to a crescendo in the 60s, 70s, 80s. Um, we were this secular society, 
we've now gone into um, a, a collapsed secular society. Mm-hmm. So the secular thought has had its heyday. It's given birth and produced new generations of people. And uh, it's it's basically metastasized into this uncontrollable collapse of a civilization. Yeah. Um, because everything that they were saying and everything they were fighting for, when you tell somebody that you can be good, you can be right, you can be true apart from Jesus, when you start to do that, you start to build your foundation not on the rock, not on Christ and and his structure and his order, um, the more you build, the more it's going to hurt when it falls, you know? And so we've been doing that with marriage. We've been doing that with government. We've been doing that with everything, you know? And, uh, and so that's where we're at. Um, if we're going to give the analogy of a person, if our society was a person, uh, we got cancer a hundred years ago and now we're in stage four and, Mm -hmm. uh, and it's, it's, yeah, it's collapsing. So how do Christians defeat a collapsed secular society? Uh, which is a good question to ask and something that we should all be asking. And I think most people, like when you watch the news, when you listen to what's going on today, um, when you hear what people are pushing for, if you get on, you know, any uh, social media app and you hear what the culture is saying, um, what they're preaching and teaching to be true, most people are like, okay, this is crazy. (laughs) You know, like, what can I do? How do I stand up against it? What, how can, how can I overcome this large thought of a collapsed secular society? How can I have an impact? And that's what we're going to talk about. How can, how can we have an impact? Uh, the first thing I think that we need to address is that Christians, um, despair because we have bought into the lie of the collapsed secular society. Uh, we bought into their lie and specifically Hebrews two, uh, I'm going to read in verse 14 and 15. Since therefore the children share in the flesh and blood, he himself likewise partook of the same thing that through death, he might destroy the one who has the power of death. That is the devil and delivered all those who through fear and death were subject to lifelong slavery. And so what this passage is saying, and you can read the whole verse later to put it in context, but what it's saying is that, um, therefore the children share in the flesh and blood, he himself likewise, which is Christ, he partook of the same thing. Christ became flesh. God became his creation, right? Um, so Jesus becomes flesh and, um, and through through death, he dis- might destroy the one who has the power of death. That is the devil. So when Jesus died, he destroyed the devil, mm-hmm. right? Um, a lot of people, a lot of Christians in America today have bought into this idea that we're in this secular society apart from Jesus, right? Mm-hmm. Like we're living in the devil's domain right. and it's just going to be bad. You know, mm-hmm. but that's not what scripture says. Uh, even if you look at, and we harp on this all the time, but so here in Hebrews, you see that, that once Jesus died, he has, he's destroyed the one who has power over death. That is the devil. So he destroys him in his death, right? He conquers sin, death, and the grave. Then Jesus comes back and hangs out with his disciples and all of that. And then right when he leaves, he tells them, 
all authority in heaven and now on earth has been given to me. He's been given all authority. The devil's been destroyed, yeah. right? Go therefore and make disciples and teach them to obey all that I've commanded. That call is a, t- is a call to submission, right? Mm-hmm. Why? Because he's been given all authority, right? right. So uh, when Christians understand that, it changes the way that we operate in our society. If we think that we live in a secular world, right? Um, well, this is just, this world is sinful. This world is secular. This world belongs to Satan. Um, so I'm not going to try to have any control over the world. I'm just going to look to when God takes me to heaven. You know Mm -hmm. what I mean? So there's been this split from the physical and the spiritual and Christians are just longing for the spiritual while we're not doing anything with the, the physical, you know, but that's not what Christ has called us to, Mm -hmm. you know? Uh, so when, um, if we don't have Christ, then we have chaos. There's no two ways about that. Uh, there's no other option. We're either going to have Christ is ruling and reigning on the earth or chaos is ruling and reigning on the earth. And therefore, in our lives, in our churches, in our schools, in our day-to-day workplaces, in our kids' futures, and their lives, it's either going to be run by chaos or Christ, mm-hmm. you know? And so Christians, um, what do we do to restore that? Well, how does Jesus save the world is what I would ask. And I would point to Luke acts. So Luke, um, one of the gospels, but Luke, when it was written, it was written in two parts, Luke acts and the gospel of Luke, uh, all of the gospels, they talk about Jesus, his life, his death, resurrection, all that stuff. Um, but in Luke acts, you see it specifically, Luke is all about what Jesus began to do, right? Jesus is, uh, God, Jesus becomes flesh and he lives his perfect life and he fully fulfills all of the law. He dies on the cross. He conquers sin, death, and the grave. He's risen on the third day, shows that the sacrifice was accepted and worthy. Mm. Um, and, and then Luke ends, right? Uh, he rises on the third day. He comes back and talks to the apostles and all of that. And then he goes to heaven. Uh, then Acts, how does Acts start? In the first book, we began with all that Jesus began to do, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and and so Acts is all that Jesus completes through his body, you know? Um, and who is his body? His body is the church. And so uh, Luke is all that Jesus began to do. Acts is all that he completes through his body. Um, we are the body of Christ. He is fulfilling everything that he began through his body now. Mm-hmm. And then he's going to return. You know, and so that's what Christians need to understand is um, what was his final charge to his body? All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples and teach them to obey. Mm -hmm. Right. So we first need to get out of the secular mindset that this world is under control of Satan. Um, This is our father's world. Mm -hmm. Everything in this world belongs to him. Jesus is King of Kings. He's Lord of Lords. He's been given an all authority in heaven and on earth, right? So with that understanding, what are some ways um, that the church can have victory over the current culture? Number one, we need to be good eggs. Good eggs. Need to be good eggs. Andrew, how do you make a good omelet? 
With good eggs. Yeah, you can't have no rotten egg. That's right. right. Even if you're like an all-star chef and you have like the the ultimate omelet recipe, mm-hmm. um, you got that that perfect magic mix of ingredients. <laughs> if you omelet start, stuff. <laughs> if, if you got all that great omelet stuff. Yeah. But you start with rotten eggs, you got a horrible omelet. That's right. right. So how does a person overcome the worldly system? The same way that a chef creates a good omelet. You must be a good egg. Mm-hmm. What does that mean? Expound on that for me. So a good egg, meaning we are in Christ, we are uh, resting in him, and we are um, following him. We're walking with him. He is our Lord. Uh, yeah. We're submitting to his lordship in all aspects of our life, wherever we're planted. Okay. Um, now, so yeah. practically... How does the locust and honey tribe, how do they become good eggs? Well, submitting to the Lord in okay. all of these ways. So, What um, ways, though? Well, uh, wherever you, what your, so like your vocation, your family. Um, how do we know how to do that well? We have to read his word. Yeah. Yeah. So by spending time in the word, mm-hmm. it renews our mind so that we're not conformed to the world's thoughts and image and actions and all of that, mm-hmm. right? The world is trying to corrupt us, you know? Um, and and so if we're not spending time in the Word, we're going to be rotten eggs, right? you know? Uh, God cleanses us from the inside out through His Holy Spirit, but through His Word, you know? that's The, the Word is the washing of regeneration, you know? and um, And so... Like wherever you live, when you're listening to this, think about the 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 city closest to where you live. Um, that city, the the mentality of that city, the um, culture of that city is not going to change until you change. Right. You know. So like for us, our church, and I, I've I've challenged the youth with this, but like. Um, I was telling them like their school, the high school that they go to, it's not going to change until their hearts are changed by the gospel mm-hmm. of the students, you know, but then I can take it farther. My students' hearts aren't going to be changed until my heart's changed. Right. You know what I mean? So, um, so for us, we have to be good eggs. We have to be people that know the word, people that are reading the word, people that are being cleansed and washed by the word um, so that we're not these whitewashed tombs who are trying to look holier than thou, but on the inside, we're just as rotten as everybody else, mm-hmm. you know? So number one, be good at eggs. All right, number two, this one I enjoy. We need to assume the center. Assume the center. Assume the center. All right, so, uh, Andrew, you're a history buff. Yes. Um, what is, all right, so if I'm going to storm a castle, what do I got to do? Storm a castle? Yeah, tactically, I'm going to storm a castle, right? I'm a Viking, mm-hmm. and I'm coming in, and I've got to storm the castle. What's my first obstacle? The gates. Okay, which are connected to? The, I don't know. I don't know a lot about castles. The wall. The, the wall, yeah. yeah. So most cities back <laughs> yeah. then, they had these huge walls, right? Right. Um, so 
a lot of people today, uh, and it could just be people that I'm around, but um, for us to take our city for Christ, it's not going to be a physical engagement, mm-hmm. right? So, like, a lot of people, they're like, man, I see what's going on in the country, and I want to rise up. Like, that's not the call. That's right. not what we're calling people to. That's not the correct call, mm-hmm. you know? Um what we need to do is we need to assume the center. So for us to take our, our city for Christ, it's not an outward storming or a riot. You know, like you look at uh, 2020 when you had all these riots in the streets and all of that stuff, the protests and all. Um, that's not what the church is called to do. Mm-hmm. Um, that's what the Jews wanted in Christ. Right. They wanted this guy that was going to come and start this riot so that they could rebel against Rome and ha- overthrow the Roman government, you mm-hmm. know? Um, but that's not our call. Our call is not to do that. Our call is to assume the center. So uh, what does that mean to assume the center? And I think the best way to understand that is through John Knox and what he had going on in Scotland. Um, so I- I've got a a biography on John Knox and, uh, Knox, he was, uh, one of the reformers and he was from Scotland and he was like, okay, I'm going to take the truth of the reformation, the truth of the gospel back to Scotland. Um, but where he was going, he was going to go and he was going to preach. And, um, and they said to him, John Knox, if you come here, we're going to shoot you. We're going to kill you. Don't, mm-hmm. don't come yeah. bringing all that nonsense. And uh, one of his claims was, give me Scotland lest I die. You know, so like what he's saying is, um, God, give me Scotland for your glory. And if not, I'm going to expend myself for that purpose. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, so what did John Knox do? How did he go about it? He went and he went straight to the cathedral. He went to the the main you know, church there and he preaches the gospel, but, um, he did it with authority from the center square with love, but unapologetically. Mm-hmm. And what ended up happening was that sparked the reformation in Scotland and Scotland became one of the, the, the leaders in this reformation, you know, yeah. um, there's a rich heritage of Scottish reformers, uh, because of, what Knox did and ultimately because of what God did through Knox. Mm-hmm. But, um, but that's what he did. He's, he, he, uh, assumed the center. He went right to the, to the, uh, the center square where all the people were and he spoke authoritatively, but he, uh, he spoke with love, but unapologetically. Yeah. And, and that's what Christians need to do. Christians are not doing that anymore in our culture today. Christians are hearing things said in the public square and then they're going in their church buildings and they're saying, man, that's horrible. That's garbage. That's this, that's that. But they're not speaking in the public square authoritatively. Mm -hmm. So like, I think of, it goes back to the locust honey podcast, right? John the Baptist, what was his call to people? Repent. Repent. Is that harsh? Can be. According to today, yeah. it's harsh, right? Yeah. Because what he was doing is he's going and saying to people, you are wrong, you're in sin, you need to turn from your sin, you need to repent, right? Mm-hmm. Our culture today hates the idea of repentance because right. then you're wrong, right? Um, and so, you know, you've got, you've got gay Christians, you've got 
you know, Christians in all kinds of sin. And, um, and, and they're like, you know, I am a homosexual Christian. Right. Well, you can't be because the first call to Christ is a call to repentance of sin. Mm -hmm. And if I'm taking sin, any sin, right. I could be a glutton Christian, Mm -hmm. right? Like I'm, I'm the gluttonous Christian that I'm going to eat 12,000 calories a day Mm -hmm. just because I love food and I need food and I'm dependent on how food makes me feel, you know? But if I identify as the gluttonous Christian, then I'm not a Christian at all because I'm, I'm not repenting of my sin and turning to Christ. Right. The first step of salvation is a heart of repentance, you know? And so when we assume the city center or when we assume the center, um, we're bringing the truth of the gospel to the center of the common thought of that day. We're going to the watering holes where people hang out and meet. Mm-hmm. So that's, you know, whether that's on social media or whether that's through a podcast called The Locust and Honey or whether that's through our at our workplaces or wherever it is right. in our schools at the cafeteria when everybody's hanging out and they're talking. You know, we need to start being authoritative and unapologetic while we speak the truth in love. Uh, mm-hmm. Christians aren't doing that anymore. But if you look at the history of the church, it's built on the backs of people that are doing that. Right. You know, so you've got with the Reformation, uh, we talked about Knox, but when that started, you've got Luther and Luther has to go to the Diet of Worms and he's standing there and they're saying, we want you to recant from everything that you said. And he said, here I stand, I can do no other. Like mm-hmm. I've prayed about it. I've, I've been in the word about it. I would love to recant, but I can't. So here I stand, I can do no other, do what you will. Right. You know, that's what we need from people. And we're not doing that in back alleys. And we're not doing that in our churches where there's only people that think like us. We're going to this collapsed secular society where they're having these conversations. And we're unapologetically, authoritatively standing on the truth of God's word and saying, thus saith the Lord, repent. Right. You know, so... Uh, I, I think that that's a massive one. Um, all of these are, but uh, that one, uh, we need men and women to start doing that. Mm-hmm. And and for us to do that, we've got to we've got to get out of the lie of a secular society. We need to quit believing the lies, you know, and we need to start believing God's word mm-hmm. and what He says. Yeah, I, I mean, and that's one where too, and it has to do with all of these. But you know what we were talking about before with. Um, Christ reigning now, you know, and he has all authority on heaven and on earth. All that we're really doing is we are declaring what is true, which is that Christ is reigning and therefore that has consequences, meaning we are to submit to them, to him, you know, um, that is the great commission. Right. It reminds me of, um, back in the end of the civil war when, you know, they had the emancipation proclamation and like, out in, I think, Texas. It was like a city in Texas. So it was like the last place to hear of what went down um, and that, you know, slavery had been abolished. And it was like 1867 or something by the time. That, so like two entire years afterwards. Right. You know, but what they were doing was they were saying, look, this is now, this is what happened. This is the law of the land. You must submit to it. You know what I mean? So yeah. not necessarily that, they're complete parallels, but we are in a same similar way doing the same thing of like Christ has won the battle. He is reigning. He is Lord. Yeah. Therefore, you know, this is what he says. Yeah. So. 
No, I yeah, I completely agree. So, and it's uh, I was gonna say something on that, but I don't remember now. So, um, let's move on. And if it comes to me, I'll say it. <laughs> All right, number three: strong men are better than gates. So this one's cool. I like that one too. <laughs> I like this yeah. one a lot. Strong men are better than gates. Um, so we we were talking about castles, right? And a castle, it's got a big wall and it's got a gate. Mm-hmm. And the gate keeps people from coming in. It allows people to go out, keeps people from coming in, all that stuff. Um, so gates are good in providing defense, but left to themselves, gates can be overcome. Right. Right. Eventually they will be. Yes. Yeah. Strong men are better than gates. Mm-hmm. If I have a strong army out in front of my gate, that's better than having the gate, right? right? Like you think about, and if you've watched any kind of movie where a, a city is being sieged, uh, by the time they get into the gates, they're kind of helpless at that point, mm-hmm. you know? And and once the enemy gets through the gates, the, the chances of, of survival are pretty minimal right. at that point because you've got an army that's stronger than your gates. They're stronger than... Uh, than your defense system. And, uh, and, and so a strong army or strong men are better than gates. So like you think about like uh, the Spartans and like 300 men taking their stand, mm-hmm. you know what I mean? Um, so like they became a gate. Right. You know? <laughs> and they're like, here we are. You can't get past this. Mm-hmm. So, uh, <laughs> so I, I think about Samson with the, yeah, it's Samson just the, steals uh, the yeah, gate, yeah. you know, and takes it up a mountain. Right. And like, here's your glorious <laughs> right. gate. I carried it up a mountain. Yeah. Um, well, so like Samson's a great example of this. Or I was thinking about like David mm-hmm. um, when he's just a boy, not even old enough to be in the army. And uh, because he's a little kid, his dad's like, hey, you got to go bring your brother some bread and cheese. Mm-hmm. And he's like, okay. Yeah. So he's toting the bread and cheese out to the front lines for his brothers and uh, – then he sees this giant that's out there taunting all of Israel, you know, and he's just taunting them and taunting them and taunting them. And, uh, and he sees this army of men that are fearful and he says, why are y'all scared? You serve the God of all creation. You know, you serve, Mm -hmm. uh, Jehovah, you serve the almighty creator who is with you and fighting on your behalf. What are you scared of? Mm -hmm. This, this guy, you know, this guy compared to God yeah. is tiny. He's insignificant. Mm. And uh, they're like, oh, you're just a kid. You don't know. He's like, okay, well, I'm going to go out there in the strength of the Lord. Right. And then they're like, no, you can't do that. That's crazy. You know? Yeah. And uh, they, and then Saul's like, here, take my armor and take this and take that. He's like, I can't move in this stuff. I don't right. need it. All I need is my little slingshot, you know, yeah. and I've got the Lord. And then he goes out there and he topples the giant. Like David became a gate, mm-hmm. you know? And, um, so, um, just like David, we must allow Christ to make us his gate. Um, I enjoy reading and one of the stories that I like to read and the movie, uh, does a pretty good betrayal of this scene, but, uh, Lord of the Rings where you got Gandalf. And so Gandalf, this is when he's still Gandalf the gray, Gandalf's the wizard. And, uh, so the hobbits are on this long journey to take the ring and get it destroyed. And in doing so, they end up in the dwarves' caves and all of that. And the dwarves got overzealous and dug so deep that they dig down to, like, the pit of hell 
and this horrible monster comes out and uh and he's going after the hobbits and there's this tiny little bridge that they're running across mm -hmm. and uh and so the 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 big monster guy from hell is chasing after him and gandalf stands in the middle of the bridge the bridge doesn't have a gate it doesn't have it's easy to get around but he becomes the gate and he mm -hmm. says he stands in the middle and says you shall not pass mm -hmm. and uh then he has this epic battle with this monster but like that's what christians need to do to the culture yeah we need to plant ourselves and say we are not going down crazy train any longer like this is the truth of god's word and we're digging in right here. You're not going to pass it. We're going to become a gate for Christ. Right. You know? So when the Senate says that, okay, we have now redefined marriage and marriage can be between two people that love each other. So like you got the president of our country that saying today was a victory for love. Now two people that love each other, you know, uh, can marry each other. Mm -hmm. Well, he doesn't believe that. Right. That's not true. A, a, a father cannot marry his daughter right. just because he loves her or a brother can't marry his sister or both of his sisters because he loves them. Right. A guy can't marry his dog because he loves the dog. Mm. You know what I mean? Like at that point, well, what defines a person? Right. You know, personhood. Well, what is that? If we've already rejected what God said marriage is, the binding of a man and a woman together that he's bound and who he's joined together, let no one separate, mm -hmm. you know, like God has defined marriage. And if we're going to redefine it anyway, it's going to fall apart and we can't hold to what we actually say. Right. Like Biden doesn't believe that, mm -hmm. you know what I mean? And so what we need is the church to stand up and say, okay, we're going to become a gate. God has defined what marriage is and a man marrying a man is not marriage. Right. And it never will be no matter what they say, mm -hmm. you know? Um, because there is a standard and there is truth and marriage is and will always only be when a man marries a woman. Right. One man marries one woman and then God merges them and makes them one flesh. They become one. Those mm -hmm. two individuals become one person. That's what marriage is. That's what it's always been. And that's what it will always be no matter what America says marriage is. Right. It's not true. Mm -hmm. So the church needs to do that. We need to become a gate. Yep thoughts yeah no that was good i mean that's got fired up yeah that's no well, that's one of my that's i like that one that's what we were saying when we mentioned it i mean that's that was one of my favorite ones because it's the one that well not the one but it's one of the ones that i think is most needed right now i mean we are basically at that point where gandalf was where right you know like because we're talking about a collapsed secular society, which means that the ideas that at this point are coming up from the secular society are directly, uh, I mean, blatantly against the very fundamentals of um, Christianity, of God's law, of, of creation, is, yeah, of creation it's, it's, itself. Right. I mean, you know, and so um, I think there was a time where... Um, it's interesting that we point back to the secular society of America existing probably somewhere in like the 1920s and 30s and then through the, the 80s and 90s. Right. And then at, the, at that point, it begins to just really kind of deteriorate. Well, I think it starts with Darwin. You know? I think it starts with... Um, Rousseau. Was, was that the other one? Rousseau. Yeah. What's, the, what's the dude uh, psychology guy? 
Freud. Freud. Yeah. Like, I think it starts there. Right. And people start buying into those lies. Right. You know? So we've been running and we've been, as Christians, it seems like over the past hundred years, we've just been running and running and running and running away from this monster. Right. And at this point, it's, it's, we are at the point where, you know, no more. And and so like that goes back to when Christians finally see who we are in Christ, Mm -hmm. like it enables us to be what he's called us to be. Right. Christians have bought into the lie and we believe like we, we confess that Jesus has raised, right? We confess that Jesus is the son of God. We confess that he has been given all authority in heaven on earth. And, but we, we don't believe it to the point of action. Mm -hmm. When we do, we, we dig our heels in and we take a stand on his truth, right? Not on our truth, not on your truth, not on relative truth, but we take a stand on what he said to be true because he said it and he created it, mm-hmm. you know? And so, so ultimately that's what we need for all of these things. We just need to believe God's word, yeah. you know, like as we're going through these, the, it all boils down to like when you boil it down to its raw form, it all boils down to, we believe God's word to be true. Yeah. Christians are living like we don't believe God's word, mm-hmm. you know? And so we're never going to take a stand on something we don't believe in. We're just going to keep running. All right, well, let's keep pushing this because it, this is, it, it's all, we need to become molecules and not atoms. Mm. So to all my physics yeah. people, science people, yeah. well, let's talk about the science. For Are a you minute. a scientist? I'm not a scientist. Uh, no. But what is Not a biologist. <laughs> <laughs> what what is a biologist at that point? I know. So um, we need to become molecules and not atoms. Let's look at atoms. What is an atom? Well, an atom is the very most basic form of I would say molecule, but I guess there's a difference. Uh, the atom is like anything, like you bring it little, down to an atom. Yeah, right? it's like the very smallest thing, and it's singular. Yes. Right. Mm-hmm. So. Um, molecules are made of atoms. They, they are. Yes. But an atom is the individual atom that makes up molecules mm-hmm. and makes up everything. Right? right. Like atoms are individual. They're singular. Um, our, our society today is full of individual atoms. Mm-hmm. And so think of like a hacky sack or a bean bag where you have all of these individual atoms and they're all in this sack together, but they're not connected, right? right? So when you put uh, a pressure or an outside force onto the beanbag or the hacky sack, it's going to cave right? because the atoms aren't connected. There's nothing holding them together, Mm -hmm. right? So they, they, they cave in and they give way to any kind of force that comes at them. That's what the American church has become in our secular society because we bought into the secular lie that um, God has not been given all authority, right? So um, when that happens, you have a bunch of atoms. And then you take the sexual revolution that started when we were talking about and gives birth in the 60s and 70s and now has metastasized into what it is today. Mm -hmm. When you pour that on the atoms, you're taking these BBs and you're putting 
olive oil on them. So it's even more slippery and nothing's going to bond together at that point. We're just making a bunch of disconnected, lonely, anxious, promiscuous people, Mm -hmm. you know? Um, And that's what atoms bring. It brings all of that. What, What we need though is we need to become molecules. So like we were talking about, a molecule is when atoms are bonded together and then they form these molecules. Mm-hmm. Um, molecules bring community drawn together by the gospel. So um, for a molecule to form, there must be a bonding agent. What is the bonding agent? The gospel. The gospel. Yeah. Uh, what binds a family together? What binds a family together? Yeah. So like we're taking well, the molecule the, of a family. What yeah. binds it together? The marriage. A marriage. Yeah. What makes a marriage a marriage? The gospel. <laughs> okay. God. I don't yeah. know. <laughs> well, how does he do that? Through what? What does he use in a marriage he, to bind them to each other? He uses. <laughs> I'm going to make you keep going to get it. <laughs> okay. All right. Uh, so you and Emma are married. Uh huh. Are you I married think... only because the state says that you're married? No. Okay, when you got married and you did the whole ceremony, what were you making together? The covenant. Okay. Yeah. Well, who was in that covenant? God, me, and Emma. Yes. Yeah. So a covenant is different than a contract, right? Right. So a contract, me and you can say, hey, I'm going to come and make your fence, the gate of your fence not look as janky. Mm-hmm. Okay? And so... You're going to pay me. The gate un- of my fence is janky, janky by the way. <laughs> so, so I'm going to come. I'm going to make your gate look unjanked. Okay. This might turn into an actual scenario. All right. And uh, I'm going to do it for $150 plus the cost of supplies. Okay. So then I'll do that. And you say, that would be great. Mm-hmm. Come and do that for me. And so we sign a contract, right? And then as time gets closer, oh, no, I slipped and fell and broke my leg. And then you found a YouTube channel that shows you how to make your gate look unjankified. Yes. Right? So then we say, uh, together, I'm like, hey, my leg's broke. I can't do what I promised. And you say, hey, I found this wealth of information. I don't need it now anyway. And we decide that we're going to nullify our contract. Mm -hmm. We can do that because it's a contract, right? Marriage is not a contract. Marriage is a covenant. Mm -hmm. God is the binding agent in that. So like when you look at Genesis, God takes Adam and then makes Eve for him and puts them together and the two become one flesh. So you've got two atoms that become one molecule at that point, right? That's what a family is. Mm -hmm. It's a molecule where you've got atoms that are joined together by God and his covenant and they become one flesh. What does God say about that? He says what God has joined together, let no man separate. So I can't then go to my wife and say, hey, I'm not feeling this. And she's like, hey, I'm not feeling this either. And we're like, okay, well, let's just choose to end it. Right. Well, we can't because we have been bound together by God. He has joined us together. And what he has joined together, let no one separate. Mm-hmm. Right. So, um, so a covenant is not a contract. And um, <clears throat> it's this bonding agent. And then when me and my wife have been bound together, we then have children and we are what you read, the Shema, 
we're teaching them to obey all that God's commanded. Mm. Specifically, love the Lord with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, right? And as we're teaching them that, then they're going out into society and then they are being bound together with spouses and then they're having children who are doing the same thing. And so this molecule is growing more and more and more. And the difference between molecules that are all bound together by the gospel versus individual atoms is when this force comes, they don't budge because they're not individual atoms that just move because of the force, but they're bound together. And so now you've got this Kevlar vest that that's not moving just because this bullet's coming at it. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Yeah. What are your thoughts? Yeah. And I think it's important that we um, are united around the gospel itself. I think that uh, one of the things that we've talked about with, um, so like the SBC, for example, one of the problems there is that a lot of the churches have been united around the Great Commission. And yeah. that, I think, has created what we see, which is which is that hacky sack almost that you were talking about. Well, and when you say the Great Commission, it's it's not the Great Commission as it's stated. Right. It's the Great Commission in the sense of... It's, Forget the authority. Go Forget the yeah. therefore and make disciples. Right. Apart from everything else. Right. And that's but that's it. Like that. Right. You don't. You don't even have the teach to obey. Right. And you don't have the all authority has been given. It's right. just that chunk. Just go and make disciples. Right. And so because of that, it's a very, it's a loose uh, thing to unite around in a way because there's a lot. Why are we going? Right. What are we making disciples for? Right. All of that stuff. Right. And it becomes very um, fluid. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? So, like, you've got somebody like Rick Warren who right. can say, hey, we need to unite under going, and look what I've been doing. I've been going, and I've been making disciples, and I've made thousands upon thousands of disciples. Mm -hmm. Right. But to what standard? Right. You know, what are you making disciples of? You know what mm -hmm. I mean? And And so— if the binding agent, which is what you're saying, is the gospel as in scripture, the Great Commission is key, but it's got to be key in its full context. Right. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples, baptize them, and teach them to obey all that I've commanded. Yeah. So there's a call for him having authority, and he's sending us out to make disciples for him. And the way that we do that is we teach them to obey all that he's commanded. Mm -hmm. And then the promise is, and lo, I am with you even to the end of the age. Right. Like Christ is with us. We are his body. He's sending us out to make disciples and he's sending us out in his authority, but he's not leaving us. He's given us the Holy Spirit. You know what I mean? Right. So when you put that into context, that is a very empowering statement. Mm-hmm. And that can bind us all. Right. You know, but it's got to be in the full context, mm -hmm. you know. So, yeah, I think that's key is uh, understanding what the gospel is and who Christ is and what he's calling us to. Um, so, all right, <clears throat> let's do one more for today. Um, this one's going to kind of devolve into another one and then we'll be done. All right. We need to desire to and be preparing for, or if you're already in, have 
a biblical marriage. <laughs> okay. So we need to desire for biblical marriage. We need to be preparing for biblical marriage or we need to have biblical marriages. Mm-hmm. Uh, husbands, love your wife and give yourself for her. That is the call to a husband, right? As we've already kind of talked about, God has defined what a biblical marriage is. There's no other kind of marriage, mm-hmm. right? God created it. He created it for a purpose. So the only kind of marriage is a biblical marriage, right? Um, and he defined who the participants in a biblical marriage is. It's a husband and a wife. It's a male and a female. And so we can't redefine that um, because then at that point it's not a marriage anymore. Uh, it's something else. And so, um, but we need to be in biblical marriages or preparing the future generations to not only uh, prepare them for a biblical marriage, but give them that desire to be in biblical marriages. Yeah. Right. So husbands, love your wife and give yourself for her. What are your thoughts on that specifically? Yeah. Um, well, it's something that um, is something that I'm still learning because, you yeah. know, I'm still young in marriage. But um, ultimately what that looks like is laying down, ultimately being able to lay down your life literally for her if that's what a situation calls for. But even in life, um, sacrificing your own um, selfish desires for the sake of her, putting her ahead of your of yeah. yourself, essentially, um, in the same way that Christ did that for the church on the cross. You know, yeah. Um, I don't know. It's still something that I'm really trying to uh, learn so that I can articulate well. Yeah. Um, and so that I can do well, but, uh, yeah. that seems to be the, the, so, and yeah, and, and loving our wives, um, there's the idea of, of cherishing them, mm-hmm. uh, of self-sacrifice. So putting them first before our desires, before our needs are met, we're meeting their needs. Mm-hmm. Um, faithfulness is a part of that, uh, being committed being that provider, that protector, that pastor, um, all of that is is involved in this, and our example is Christ and the church. Right. You know, so that's a, a a lofty goal, but that's what we should be striving for as husbands is to love our wives as Christ loves the church. Mm-hmm. And so, um, kind of like what we talked about in the last episode when we we're talking about biblical marriage, is all marriages are proclaiming who God is. Some of them do it well, and some of them are blasphemous, mm-hmm. you know? And so um, we need to be striving for a healthy declaration in our marriage of who Christ is and the way that he loves his bride, the church. Right. You know? Um, and then something else, too, is that, and, and we might get into this a little bit, too, but knowing what love is and what it means. So, like, um, kind of like what we were talking about last week with the whole idea of, okay, having this, um, feminine male be Mm -hmm. the husband. And so that means you are, you know, just at your wife's beck and call in a way that you actually are submitting to her. Right. And now the culture has defined that as actually loving her. Right. You know what I mean? And that is what it means to 
have her needs met before yours and stuff right. like that, you know? So I think there does also need to be a healthy understanding of um, loving her is leading her. Ultimately, that's what she needs. You know what I mean? That's what yeah. she longs for um, is to be led. And so, um, yeah. yeah. And so the, like when we're talking about uh, preparing future generations for this, so as husbands, we need to be doing this. But then as husbands, we need to be teaching the future generations to desire this. Yeah. Because if I don't desire to get married, then what I'm proclaiming about Christ is that he doesn't desire to be attached to his bride. Mm-hmm. And that's not true. You know? So as men, we should desire to be married, you know, yeah. um, to a woman. And if we don't have that desire, then um, we're not proclaiming correctly who Christ is, you know? Um, so we need to be teaching that to future generations as well, training them how to, uh, grow to be men that love and serve the Lord by loving and serving their wives, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, so, all right. And then on the flip side of that, wives submit to your husbands as he submits to Christ. So the call to men, love your wife and give yourself for her. Wives submit to your husbands as he submits to Christ. And then the other call is to respect your husband. Um, I talk about this all the time when I talk about when I do biblical counseling. Mm -hmm. Uh, But the call for a husband is to love his wife. And the call for a wife is to respect her husband. Um, Men need to feel respected more than they need to see physical love shown to them. You know what Mm -hmm. I mean? So like... If a wife is saying, I love you, I love you, I love you, but she's not showing that she respects him, um, that's a desire that God's put in men to lead. And so therefore they need to feel respected. Mm -hmm. But the way that they feel respected and the way that they earn that respect is by submitting to Christ, you know, and, and loving their wife and putting her first. So it's kind of this full circle thing. Mm-hmm. When a husband is not submitting to Christ, the wife's not going to want to respect him because he's not earning it, you know? But when he is loving his wife, like Christ has called him to, like he loves the church, then the wife is going to desire to submit to the leadership of the husband because ultimately she's not submitting to him in his flesh. She's submitting to Christ, leading her through him. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Um, so, we need to be preparing men and women for that. If you go into any main church today and you counsel women in, hey, submit to your husbands, that's super controversial. Right. You know what I mean? But like, if you look at scripture, Paul does that at, at length. You mm-hmm. know, he he exhorts the whole church and then he specifically exhorts men and says, you need to love your wives and give yourself for her like Christ is the church. Then he looks at the women and says, you need to submit to your husbands and respect them. Then he looks at the kids and says, you need to obey your parents in the Lord for this is right. And this is the first commandment that comes with a promise, you Mm -hmm. know? Um, And so he's teaching all of them um, equally. So like we said, all marriages proclaim who Christ is. You will either do it faithfully or you will blaspheme. Um, and so kind of tying into that is, uh, the, the next point, which is we need to be in fellowship with one another, uh, fellowship, uh, a good definition for fellowship is long obedience in the same direction. 
Uh, it's not this, uh, we're going to, you know, uh, it's like you think of fellowship in the church mm-hmm. and people <laughs> will say, well, we're going to go, we're going to have a fellowship. The fellowship hall. To, yeah. We're going to go eat together. Uh, you know, so the fellowship is fellowship more than just, it's, it's more than just dinner every once in a while. And it's more than a Bible study here and there. Uh, it's this long obedience in the same direction together. Mm-hmm. We're going on this journey together continually through the ups, through the downs, through the ends, through the outs, through the good times, through hard times. We are fellowshipping together. Uh, and it's this continual thing. Uh, fellowship in scripture when it's used, a lot of times the word that's used there is the word partaking. So if you think about partaking and things together, uh, you can partake in food together. You can partake in good times. You can partake in tribulation together. Um, it's kind of like what I think about this is when I was in the military, you know, so you start off and you go through basic and it's miserable, uh, more miserable for some than others. Right. Um, but it's not made to be enjoyable, Mm -hmm. you know? And then like for me to get into the Ranger battalion, uh, after that you go to airborne school and then it's more that you're just, you know, partaking in together. And all of these things are, are, growing a bond closer and closer. And then for us, you go through RASP, which is the Ranger Assessment and Selection Program. And that's just not fun. <laughs> you know what I mean? I feel like that's the most miserable. Yeah, yeah. That's, and that's not fun. And, and once you get through that, then you go to your Ranger Regiment. Mm-hmm. And once you get there, that first year, you're the new guy and it's, it's, it's rough. (laughs) Like it's bad. You know what I mean? Um, but you're doing that with these guys together. You're, you're all getting there together and you're all miserable together and, and you're partaking in all of these things together and that's drawing you closer. But then you're also training with all of these guys, you know? So some of them are senior and they've been there for a year longer than you, five years longer than you, 10 years longer than you. But as you're going to war together, as you're going through, climbing up and down these mountains and freezing cold together as you're going through being shot at together, as you're going through loss together, uh, as you're going through the fun times and all of that, Mm -hmm. it's just drawing you closer and closer together. That's the definition of fellowship that, that Christ is calling the church to, you know, we're, we're partaking in all of these things together and that's drawing us closer. So, um, the question then arises in the church, what disrupts fellowship? What disrupts that partaking together? What disrupts that long obedience in the same direction together? And the answer <clears throat> 100% of the time is unconfessed sin. Mm-hmm. So if you're looking at a marriage, that is um, a fellowship, right? You're partaking in these things as husband and wife. What disrupts that fellowship Every time it's unconfessed sin, mm-hmm. right? Uh, so in marriage, the husband and the wife need to be quick to uh, confess their sin one to another, right? And confess their sin to the Lord. And, and in doing that, then you're truly set free. Mm-hmm. Like if you think about anytime, like I'm counseling people uh, in marriage and one of them is saying, well, I, you know, I'm kind of considering getting a divorce, um, that all stems from unrepentant sin, unconfessed right. sin. And it, it's better 
say you got a guy and he's struggling with pornography, right? If he goes to his wife and says, listen, I've been struggling with this and I can't overcome it. I can promise you his wife is going to help him overcome that. Right. You know what I mean? Um, she's going to be able to watch him on his phone. She's going to be able to, you know what I mean? Just mm-hmm. that kind of thing and, and be there. But when you have a fellowship where there is this uh, confession of sin, not just to each other, but to the Lord and this repentance of sin before the Lord. And and the Bible says that when we confess our sin, he's faithful and just to forgive us of our sin and to cleanse us of all unrighteousness. When Christ has cleansed us of our unrighteousness and we're fellowshipping together, nothing can stop you. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like there's no weight. There's no burden that you're carrying around with you. Right. Uh, and when the church body is doing that together, uh, so when you look at people, so now take it away from the marriage lens and let's look at the church and you've got somebody that leaves a church altogether. Uh, most of the time they leave the church because of people, right? you know? And, and so um, at the root of that is unconfessed sin. You know, maybe, uh, maybe somebody was jealous of this person, you know? And so now I'm going to be vindictive to them and I'm going to gossip about them and I'm going to get other people to dislike them that sin needs to be repented of mm-hmm. to the Lord. But then we need to go to that person and say, listen, I'm sorry. I, I was telling these people, these things about you and I know it's not true. And I wanted to tell you, and then I'm going to go let them know that that wasn't true. Mm-hmm. If that's happening, that church is going to be a healthy, thriving church Yeah, because th- there's nothing that's holding them back at that point. You right. know? It's like when the Bible says if the Lord is for you, who can be against you? Mm-hmm. If God has forgiven us of our sin and even though we are sinful and flawed people, we're not dragging that sin around with us because we're confessing that sin to the Lord first and then to each other. Um, there's complete freedom there. Yeah. And and the the world system can't hold you down at that point because you've been truly forgiven. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? So, um, so unconfessed sin will harm a marriage. It will harm a church body. It will harm the American church. It will harm your local church for those that are listening, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So, um, so we need to be faithful to confess our sin and know that he's faithful and just to forgive us of our sin yeah, and to cleanse us of all unrighteousness. Mm-hmm. Thoughts? Yeah. Um, I'm, you know, kind of reminds me of like financial stuff, right? So it's almost yeah. like you've got um, this person who's got like tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands of dollars in debt you know, it's like they can't, you, you really can't move from right. there. You've got to deal with the debt. Yeah. You've got to deal with the debt in order to do anything. Right. You know, um, same type deal, you know. Um, and really, I like what you were saying with at that point, nothing can really hold you back once you've got this, this, um, this uh, unrepentant sin dealt with. And you do it biblically, which means that you go to the person and you confess right. that to them too. Because what that shows is that you can, it increases trust between people. Yeah. It increases um, just that intimacy between them and knowing that, hey, if this person does slight me, you know, I'm going to know about it because they've got a repentant heart. Yeah. You know what I mean? Right. Um, and then it makes people more patient with one another as well. You know, yeah. it's like, um, because you you know the heart of the person even when right. they do something that you may not like. Yeah. You know what I mean? I um, heard a, a guy, he was uh, um, like the dean 
of a Christian college and he was saying, um, talking about like people cheating on tests mm-hmm. and, uh, he was saying a lot of times when people get caught cheating, they show up in the office and they're like, Hey, don't kick me out of school. This was my first time cheating. I've never done it before. Uh, I just so happened to get caught my first time. And I just, you know, w- can you cut me a break? He was saying he pretty much never mm-hmm. <laughs> does that for that point. He said he would almost rather somebody come and say, listen, I've had this problem with sin for like five years and, yeah. and I cheated my way through high school and I got here and like, I realize that what I'm doing is sinful and I've been cheating and I've been taking things that aren't mine and claiming it as mine. And I do, I've, I truly repent of that sin. I'm sorry to you. I'm sorry for the, to the institution, but ultimately I know what I've been doing is a dishonor to the Lord and a false representation of who he is. And I've, I've confessed my sin to the Lord. He said he would rather give that person the the break because you know, there's still a consequence for the action, right. but at least that person has been cleansed of sin. Whereas the other person is just continuing to, to cover up for their sin yeah. that they're doing by telling more lies to get out of being in trouble for lying, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, because that's when I was a cop, <laughs> it's, mm-hmm. it's comical because <laughs> like every time if you find meth in somebody's pocket or, you know, crack in their pocket. These aren't my pants. These aren't my pants or <laughs> that's not mine. I don't yeah. know how that got in there. Yeah. Well, these are, that's your shirt. Mm-hmm. You're wearing it. Well, no, it's not my shirt. I just, this was on the floor and I picked it up. It could be some, it could be anybody's <laughs> shirt. Well, I can tell you everything that's in my pockets right now. Right. You know, <laughs> yeah. I don't even have to put my hand in there. I know what's in my pockets because right. I put it in there. <laughs> right. And, uh, but like every time it's like, all right, I'm in trouble for sin. I'm in trouble for doing something wrong. So I'm going to try to now just sin more to get out of getting in trouble mm-hmm. for sin. But that's not, that's not biblical repentance. That's not yeah. this confession of sin. You know, um, if we understand uh, that we are going to mess up, that people are going to sin. So like spouses, your your spouse is going to sin. Right. And if you have short accounts of that and you're not holding that against them and you're like, okay, well, I'm keeping track. My spouse has sinned these eight times against me. And on the 10th time, I'm going to blow up on them. Right. That's unhealthy. You yeah. know? Um, okay. You know, you, so you get in a fight and you're like, well, not only did you not just do the dishes, but then you also were doing this and this and this and this and this mm-hmm. and this and this and this. And, um, that's unhealthy in a, in a relationship. Yeah. But if, if we're doing fellowship well and we're in long obedience in the same direction, we need to understand that we're traveling with people that are inclined to get lost. Mm-hmm. You know, they're inclined to veer off the path. And when they start to veer off the path, we need to help them recognize it. And then they need to be willing to get back on the path. You know, so whether that's with your spouse and, and you can go and say, Hey, honey, I did this. I thought this, I said this, I acted this way towards you. I acted this way towards the kids. I've whatever it is. And, and know that this is true repentance. And I'm going to turn from this, even though I might stumble in this same thing tomorrow, I'm repenting, I'm turning from this. And then there's also being forgiveness granted, not because the person deserves it, but we forgive others because Christ first forgave us. Mm -hmm. And then we take that to our churches as well. 
and we're not looking to outshine other people, but see them succeed in Christ because we're a body together and we're willing to forgive people that have sinned against us. And we're willing to confess our sins to others that we've sinned against. You have a healthy free church that is going to be able to take this long obedience in the same direction. They're going to have that fellowship together because there is this confession of sin and, and there's this forgiveness of sin. So yeah. uh, it just makes the church even more healthy so that we can be stronger and we can stand against the culture and we can be that gate for Christ that he's calling us to be. Yeah. So, well, a little bit longer episode today. Um, I hope this has been helpful for you guys. Uh, if anybody's like us, um, and like I said to start this off, like when you listen to the news or you are on social media and, and you hear what people are saying about what the culture is teaching, um, it, it, it can be overwhelming. Mm. And you can say, well, what are things that I can do? These are practical things that we can start doing now to be healthy in this culture. And as more and more Christians start to apply these things, it's going to impact the culture because that's how God's designed it. He's designed his church to have impact on the culture. We just need to be what he's called us to be. And uh, we need to go in the strength that he's given us to go in. So we need to be in his word, read his word, believe his word and act on it. That's right. So, well, we love you guys. Hope you have a good Lord's day and we will see you next week. All right. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.